Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, certified life and relationship coach, and happily divorced mom who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me. Um, I'm really excited about my guest, but before I introduce him, I wanted to let you know about a couple things going on over here. Um, The first is that we are in the final week of my 12-week program, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, This was the beta run, and I've had 12 women going through this with me, and they have been so dedicated, and they have been getting so much out of this program. I, I literally, you know, when you create stuff like this, you never really know how it's going to land. And so that's why you do a beta test, right? And uh, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited for how, you know, not how well the program has been going for me, but I mean, obviously I'm very thrilled about that. But more than that, I'm really, 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 really excited about the transformation that these 12 women are making uh, and the community that they have created together. And I'll tell you, You know, one of the things that I have resisted in doing a group program with stuff like this is around this kind of work is that most people say to me, yeah, but, you know, I don't want to do group work because my stuff is too private. It's too personal. It's, um, you know, I just don't feel comfortable in groups, whatever. And a lot of these women actually felt the same way when we started. And one of the things that they have said consistently throughout is how grateful they are to be going through this process with other women. Because as unique as you think your situation is, trust me, I hear from you guys. I work with clients privately. I hear the same story hundreds and hundreds of times over. Different flavors, different um, details, but the same feelings, the same experiences. And a lot of the details are actually the same. Um, There are a few women in my class right now who are blown away by the similarities in their situations. Um, And so, and they, and they really are blown away because they thought that they were alone and that no one else was experiencing this. And so it has helped alleviate shame and guilt and a lot of the burden. So I'm just, I'm super excited about that. Uh, We're going to be launching the next round uh, in the new year. So please take a, you know, listen for that and keep your ears open for that. There will be a link uh, to sign up. There is a, um, right now, like a waiting list for an early bird. uh, So you'll like be the first to get notified. So check that out in the show notes. Um, The other thing I want to tell you about is that I have two programs that I'm going to be discontinuing in the new year. Um, One of them is my five-week one-on-one coaching program, Rooted. Um, And I'm going to be turning that into a self-study. So um, it'll be a lot more accessible from a uh, price perspective. But if you want to do that with me, if that's something, Rooted is really about you finding your strength and standing in your power. Um, It's really sort of core um, personal development principles. I work with your inner guide and your inner critic and your value systems and uncover um, all the things that are sort of standing in your way of you really accessing and standing in your personal power. Um, So if you want to do that 
and have the one-on-one coaching experience and have one-on-one coaching five weeks in a row with me, um, that needs to be, that needs to happen before the, uh, the end of the, before the end of the year. So, um, and that, you know, I just want to say, you guys, I don't know if, if everybody knows this. I, I, I get surprised when I, when people ask me this question. So I just want to answer it clearly. I, as a coach, I am not tied to any location. So just cause I live in LA, you do not have to be in LA to work for, with me. Actually, none of my clients are in LA. My clients are all over the country. Uh, and I work with people internationally. Coaching does not have those um, statewide licensing um, regulations like therapy does. So we are free to work with anyone anywhere. So um, if that has been holding you back, ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> that's not a that's not an obstacle anymore. So rooted um, is going to be turning into a self study, and then the other thing that I'm discontinuing is the personalized prescription, which is one 60 minute down and dirty deep dive into your relationship where I give you uh, my my clear opinion on everything that you've told me where I dig really deeply into your relationship. I listen to everything from, I try to listen from all perspectives and I give you my honest opinion and a plan of action for you. Um, And that will be, I will be discontinuing that in the new year. And so I'm going to be restructuring my business a little bit in the new year, but really I'm going to be focusing a lot on on my class. And that's going to have different tiers. There's going to be... um, my group program will have different tiers, so you can either do it with just getting the materials and being in the Facebook group and sort of kind of having it be a self-study um, with the support of the group on Facebook, um, or you can do it with a group call. You can add on one-on-one coaching. So there's going to be lots sort of different tiers because I really, you know, the thing that I want is for my work to be more accessible um, to more women because I know that coaching with me one-on-one is expensive. It, it just is. And um, so I'm looking at scaling and making it accessible and making um, it really fucking fabulous. So <laughs> those are all the things you need to know. And so now what I want to do is introduce my guest. So today I have on the podcast uh, Robert Kandel. And Rob is great. I, you know, I get a lot of emails from men. Right. I get a lot of men who are asking me, you know, oh, my God, my wife has decided to leave me. And now I realize everything I did wrong and or what can I do to get her back? Or so I wanted to have a man on to talk about these things, to talk about things from a male perspective. I wanted to I know I have a lot of men who listen to my podcast and I wanted to kind of speak to them a little bit more. So um, this is not just for the men, by the way, if you're about to turn this off because you're a woman, please don't. (laughs) So Robert Kandel has been helping men find themselves for 14 years. He's an expert in interpersonal communication and relationships, and he's helped thousands of students find a more balanced, energized life with better relationships, more sex, and more happiness. His coaching style is challenging, fraternal, and highly rewarding, and definitely not for the faint-hearted. He has been described as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant. (laughs) I love that. He's the host of the highly successful podcast, Tough Love, and the author of the upcoming book, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. So without further ado, let me bring you my interview with Robert Kandel. 
Thanks for coming on, Rob. I so appreciate us being able to have this conversation. It's my absolute pleasure. So I've obviously been doing a little bit of research on you and I love your premise of, I mean, your book, right? It's mm-hmm. called Unhidden, which it came is. out, what, two days ago? No, is that this right? was originally November 5th. Now it's yeah. December 6th. Got of it. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes. Editing and the rigmarole, but I'm yes. thrilled to say December 6th. Okay, great. So you have a book coming out called yes. Unhidden. And I was reading on your website, you have, you can download a sample chapter, mm-hmm. basically. And one of the things you were talking about really sort of made me, the thing that came to me was this idea of coming out, mm-hmm. right? This idea of, I was just talking to a client about this this morning. She said, I feel like I'm in the closet. Mm. And this is, you know, in my work, this is somebody who is really desperately unhappy in her marriage Mm -hmm. and her closest friends know it, her family knows it, but she feels like she's living her life in the closet. Mm -hmm. So what is it to live an unhidden life? What does that mean to you? I know it means a lot of things to you, but Mm -hmm. give me sort of what's the rundown here. Well, I believe the only way to live an optimized, spectacular life is unhidden. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means to every person is different. And some people are in locations or areas of the world where if they live unhidden, that means death. So it's very different for yeah. a, a white, cisgendered male in Los Angeles, California, someone in the Middle East or woman in the Middle East. So let me just say that you need to be smart about what it means to live unhidden for your safety and security. Thank you for saying that. Yes. And even in, you know, the United States, which is touted as the most open or free society, we still live inside very rigid rules of who we can be, what we can say, what we can think, what we can desire, you know, especially men, how we relate to our fear. There's this really like these boxes or that closet that your client's talking about. And so my life of living hidden, my recommendation is to confront the boxes around you, the closet you're living in, and then choose, wow, this was given to me by my grandfather. This was given to me by my school teacher. This was a fear I picked up from my mom when I was four years old. You know, go in and do the work to see what these rules are, then authentically and um, consciously decide, all right, I'm going to open this one up. I'm going to change this one. I'm going to speak this one. And then your whole life can grow on that one decision to change your status quo. I love the idea that there are lots of different boxes and we don't have to tackle the whole thing nope. all at once, right? There's each box is its own thing. Right. And as you said, usually we come by these things very, the thing that I say all the time to my clients is we come by this very naturally. Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, we're not born in vacuums. We are raised by people. We have inherited, whether it's epigenetics or whether it's, you know, whatever, shit and baggage we're carrying Mm -hmm. around, we come by it really naturally, Mm -hmm. right? So to examine how you got handed this box, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, will inform how you unpack it. Mm -hmm. And one truth leads to another truth. That's the thing I found in my life. So my whole life changed with one honest conversation with my first wife at Burning Man on the playa about our sex life. Oh, Can you tell us that story? Oh, yeah. It's a funny story. Okay. So the scene is I'm 28 years old. It's 1998. Burning Man at that time was not as large and well-known as it is now. I think it was a mere 18,000 people. And (laughs) my wife and I had a very vanilla 
very infrequent sex life. We had been married. We were both young. She was Irish Catholic. I was a New York Jew. Shame and guilt. Like we didn't have a lot of flow in honesty when it came to sexuality. I was a closet porn reader. During those times, there was no video on the web. It was all news groups. So I read pornographic stories. And so, but it was very secretive. No one knew. And so here we were at Burning Man, gotten there. And during the day, my wife says, hey, do you want to go to this place? I heard there are orgies there. You're like, what? I was like, um, <laughs> no, this is a wife who wouldn't even get undressed in front of me. Like we had no, like it was such a out of the field. And my little porn infested mind was like, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> like, hey, yes. So but, but I'm not sure I want to go with you. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so all day I'm thinking about this place. It was called Delilah's. I'm thinking Delilah's, Delilah's, Delilah's. Orgy, you know, what's going to happen? You know, fantasy, fantasy. And we, you know, go there at night, open up the tent flap door, walk in expecting this Romanesque orgy. And instead there were 300 men and two women or, you know, 300 men and three women. <laughs> like every worst high school party. I'm, would, yeah. I'm so shocked. I'm yeah. so surprised. <laughs> so we left dejected and I was like, oh, Delilah's, you know, no orgy. But what happened after that is we started walking and we just started talking about our sex life. And we had never really talked consciously about it. And she said to me, like, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. And we just, one thing led to another. And we open up the door of truth. I said something like, I don't think you're the last woman in my life I want to kiss. She's like, you're not the last guy in my life I want to kiss. I was like, what? And all of a sudden, you know, we created a communication pathway for the truth to be told and rewarded. Mm. And that led to exploration and that led to taking workshops and that and a lot of not so pleasant things, a lot of pleasant things eventually led me to open up an organization called One Taste, which is about relationship intimacy and sexuality. And here I am, you know, 20 years later, really transformed by that one conversation. So we think it's really hard, but it really takes one truth. And if you tell your partner truth and they say, wow, tell me more, then your whole life can change. Yeah. And so, so many people that I work with, right, they're not having these honest conversations mm -hmm. or they've tried and they are shut down, right? So mm -hmm. it's not a door that opens. It's a door that gets closed, right? So this sort of, I mean, I guess leads us right into communication and for men and women to open those doors of communication. So often, I think you and I, I think are very similar in a lot of ways. First of all, I think we're the same age and we're both from New York. So we have to have that conversation. conversation there. But I think we're very similar in, you talk a lot in your about, so I've read some stuff that you've talked about, about how open and expressive you are openly mm -hmm. on social media and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And how, you know, your mom or your wife might be like, Hey, <laughs> yeah. maybe not. I get that all the time. Mm -hmm. I get the little, I was talking to a friend the other night and I said something about, I've got, I went to Mexico and mm -hmm. I had this torrid like weekend affair mm -hmm. that was beautiful and healing and amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I didn't post about it on social media. And she was like, yeah, I'm really glad you didn't post about it. And I was like, uh-huh. Like, <laughs> like, and it was clear that there was a lot of judgment mm -hmm. about the things that I do post on social media. And frankly, the reason I didn't post about it on social media was because he and I were Facebook friends and I like, it was, you know, I didn't want to be telling his story. Like, you know what I mean? That was awkward, but only because I decided not to, not because I was like, I post, I share too much, mm -hmm. but I do think that you and I are similar in that, like, I'm just like, here it is. This is me. Like, bleh. And 
a lot of my processing happens that way outwardly. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a fiercely direct communicator. Mm-hmm. If I feel something, you're going to know about it. Mm-hmm. If I want something from my relationship with you, you're going to know about it. Mm-hmm. And most people don't function that way. Mm-hmm. So, and because most people don't function that way, a lot of times when I am that way, people are like, what is that? Right? So how do we bridge that gap in communication between men and women, first of all, because there's different styles and forms. How do we have better communication in this hetero world, at least just for this conversation? Okay. So a man and a woman in relationship, one person feels like either something to be said or they want to up-level their communication. If they just want to up-level, it just takes one person saying, I heard this podcast. I read this book. I had this thought. And I know there are things that I don't feel comfortable telling you. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for my withholding. I know my withholding stops you from seeing all of who I am. And my motivation, the reason I haven't told you is because I'm a fear of your judgment, fear of abandonment, you know, all these things. You can lay this out and you can apologize for the withhold. That's the thing that people don't think about. You can actually say, I'm sorry I'm doing this. And, not but, and... I want to be closer to you. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want to create some way where we can tell each other more truth. Are you interested in doing that? And like what person would say no to that? Or a person who didn't want to stay in the relationship with, but go ahead. Well, no, right. That's true. So just even at the start, what you have done is set up a dynamic in which person A is taking responsibility. Yes. And in my experience, even that is a huge leap for so Mm -hmm. many people, right? Mm -hmm. To say, I am withholding. I want better communication. I am withholding for you and I am sorry. That is not what I want. Most people that I know are not actually capable of having that much insight and taking that much responsibility. So how do we Mm -hmm. even get there? The $64,000 question. (laughs) The answer there is when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, people change. So if you're in a relationship and you're just not happy, or you could just be happy and you know there's so much more and you look at it and like, God, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to get this vulnerable, but God damn, I am suffering in this mediocrity. I am suffering in my withholds. I am suffering in this vanilla sex life we have. I am suffering withholding these things. I don't have the communication tips. When that pain of staying the same is less than the pain of change, then we change. And so people listening, you can look at your life and you can just say, you know, is it worth it to have a one, two, five day experience of some rocky days to break open the mediocrity of your relationship? Is it worth it? And to me, I can't imagine not investing time and energy into my relationship to my wife, the most special person in the world. Like I don't withhold things just because it is so important for me, for my own sanity to not lie to with her and withhold from her. So that's just the feeling of the answer to your question. Yeah. Okay. And also responsibility is not a zero sum game being defined as if you have a bowl of marbles and there's a hundred marbles in there and one person takes 72 and only leaves 28 in there. To me, or a pizza pie where you, you know one person takes five slices, the other person takes three slices. To me, responsibility, each person is 100% responsible. 
Yep. And you can take 100% responsibility for every aspect. It doesn't preclude them from taking responsibility, but I take 100%. And in that, there's so much more power and availability. Well, I would also assert that when you take 100% responsibility, it actually opens the doors for the other person to take 100% responsibility as well. Yes. Right? Like when I say, this is mine, it opens the floodgates for the other person to say, it's a safety thing because you are not pointing the fingers of blame and shame, Mm -hmm. which automatically shuts down into defensiveness, right? You're opening the door to yourself, to your own vulnerability, which invites the same in return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most people communicate, especially around arguments in terms of antagonistic communication, me versus you, you versus me. I was listening to Trump. I don't know how much you care about politics, but I was listening to his speech today after the midterms. We can go there. It's okay. Yeah. And his whole speech was antagonistic. Everything was me against you. I did this or Oprah didn't do that. It was, it was heartbreaking for me. But that's how a lot of people talk when they're in debate with their partners. They're so triggered. Their hackles are up. They're in fight or flight. They're in fear. And what they do is they're, they're talking antagonistically. You did this to me or you're the cause of this. And I can tell you from that position, very few things get resolved. If you can learn the concept of collaborative communication, we're in this together. You're my teammate. Let's build this, you know, together. This was my part. I did this. Like, it just greases so much more intimacy and relating. Yeah. There's a great exercise in my relationship training that talks about when you're fighting with your partner, you're essentially, it's as if you, the exercise is a physical exercise where you put a pillow between the two of you and you're each Mm -hmm. tugging on either end of the pillow, right? And the pillow is the problem. Mm -hmm. We're fighting over the problem. Mm -hmm. And the exercise is to stand shoulder to shoulder and together as one, place the pillow in front. It's called putting the problem out in front Mm -hmm. and stand together as a team and say, how can we solve this problem? And it's a physical manifestation of what you're talking about, of Mm -hmm. becoming one on the same team and collaborating together to, and brainstorm Mm -hmm. like, wow, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. We're having like, this is a problem that we are suffering over. How can we as a team solve the problem together? And it shifts the dynamic so quickly and magically, Mm -hmm. especially when you physicalize it. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. I highly recommend people do that at home. I extrapolated on your exercise, right? Imagine the pillow being the relationship. Uh-huh. So you're pulling yeah. on the relationship. You know, you're like pulling at the seams of it. And if you stand shoulder to shoulder, then, oh, let's take care of our relationship. What do we need to build it? So how do we need to beautiful. love this relationship? How does right. it need to be nurtured? How does it need to be watered and fed and fertilized in order for it to grow? Mm-hmm. Not how do you need to nurture me or how do mm-hmm. I need to nurture you? But how do we together need to nurture this thing that we've created, like Mm -hmm. our baby? Mm -hmm. Totally. Cool. All right. So that's one way for men and women to have better communication, right? To Mm -hmm. take personal responsibility, to figure out what you've been withholding. What's the difference in your estimation between feminine and masculine communication? Great. So first off, every person has a ratio of feminine and masculine energy inside of them. So masculine doesn't mean man and feminine doesn't mean woman. There's masculine and feminine. That's a thing that most people don't think of. Like I am a mix of masculine and feminine. And I've spent 20 years, you know, getting in relationship with my feminine, 
what that means is not having the judgments that most boys and men have on the feminine, not thinking it's weak, not thinking it's less than, not calling its names, getting in really solid relationship with my feminine. And women have the same issue often with the masculine side of them. So I define masculine as the part of you that's forward projecting or creating or energy out and the feminine, which is receiving and the one, you know, internal. And we can go more on that. But so the masculine feminine. So if you have a masculine man and a feminine woman, what often happens is that they forget or don't even know that the goal of the masculine is for production. So the masculine wants to move the box from point A to point B. The goal... This is where they try to solve your problems. Right. (laughs) Right. The goal of the feminine is for intimacy and connection and relating. The goal of the feminine is to find out how the other person feels about moving the box from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Now, that may seem silly, but there are different times where different parts of us are really warranted. So if a person's fully in their masculine, all they're obsessing is about point A to point B production, there's no feelings, there's no intimacy around it. If someone's truly in their feminine, then things don't tend to get done. So it's the marriage of the two, the relating, the perfect ratio. That's where the optimal form of communication happens to not bypass the validating of feelings, but also not to get stuck there. And so when a masculine man and a feminine woman are often in conflict around their communication is because they don't know what their true intention is on their motivation to communicate. Mm. Say, say more about that, the intention to the motivation to communicate, right? Does that mean like, what are we actually talking about? Are we trying to solve a problem or are we trying to create further intimacy, that kind of thing? Like actually, what are we doing in this conversation? I'll give you a personal embarrassing example about oh, myself. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so my wife, Morgan, is a powerful, smart, brilliant woman. And we're as opposite as I come, basically, which is really fun to have the difference between us. About six months ago, she's sitting with me and she's talking about her problem with the kids. And she's going on and on and on with the problem with this with the children. My masculine mind activates. I now have 17 ideas and I'm sorting them in the conversation about which three are the three most optimal ways to handle this problem. Like I have the little Terminator matrix going on. No, like I've got project plans and formulas. And then she completes, you know, her little seven, eight minute monologue about the problems and says, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, well, what I got. Number one is this, and we could do this, and we could do that. And, and like, I'm starting to go through my project plan with her, and her face got tight, you know, like that clenched face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's wrong? And she says, well, I really just wanted you to validate my feelings. <laughs> I didn't want you to solve my problems. I just wanted you to hear them and say you understood and connect with me over them. And I was like, oh, God. And I've been doing this work for 20 years, and I still fell in the masculine trap of being Mr. Fix-It. Yes. And, right, she has language for that. Mm-hmm. And you have language for that. Like, this is perfect, right? Because almost every man and woman heterosexual relationship I know has the exact same breakdown in communication, mm-hmm. but they don't have words for it. They don't have language for it, right? Mm-hmm. So that becomes a fight. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the words to say, I just wanted you to validate my feelings. And then he doesn't have the wherewithal to say, oh, shit, I just tried to solve your problem when what Mm -hmm. you wanted was empathy, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, done, right? For you, as soon as you have that language, 
it's done. But for people who don't have the language, that becomes a knockdown drag out that they've repeated over and over and over again. It triggers the last 75 times this has happened. And it is mm. suddenly a mountain of miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Men don't feel validated because I'm like, I want to produce for you. Remember, the masculine wants production. I'm here for you. I can solve your problem. I'm also ignoring my emotional side and my emotional intelligence because I'm not very good at that. And I don't really want to confront how horrible I am at validating your feelings. So I'm just going to go right into production and roll over you. And the woman, you know, Morgan in this place is just like, no, like you're not giving me what I need. You're giving me what you think I need, which is chauvinistic. And so why don't you slow down, pay attention. And then all of a sudden, like that's where the debate comes from. And we're fighting. We're not fighting over anything except the intention of our communication. Morgan was communicating with me because she wanted to feel close to me. She didn't want to feel alone with her struggles. She wanted her partner and best friend to sit with her and understand and validate. Yeah. From my masculine mind, this is totally inefficient. And she said, hey, honey, I need to talk to you about something and here's what I need from you. Right. You would have made that adjustment first and your matrix would have been like, you know, probably not shut off, but at least <laughs> tempered. It would have been like in the background. The background programs would have been running. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But again, right, having that language and understanding that is so important. You know, my podcast is mostly listened to by women. Well, I do have a lot of male listeners. Great. And I have a lot of men who come to me and say, one in particular recently who said, in trying to explain to me what went wrong, my wife showed me your podcast mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. listen to this. Right. And he said, I'm learning so much. And he said, what do I do now? I think she's done, but what do I do? Cause I'm suddenly seeing all of these things and I want so badly to make this work. So from a male perspective in the masculine, right. And I think that he, this guy, from what I can tell, I don't know, has been operating from in a masculine way. Mm-hmm. What can men do? Because I do have a number of men who email me this, right? Like my wife left me. I didn't know there was a problem. And I hear Mm -hmm. from the women all the time. I've been telling him for 10 years, there's a problem. What can men do at that point? Do you have any pearls? Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm hearing you're at a point in a relationship. Relationship's been going on for a while. During that time, the man's not listening to the woman, or at least the woman does not feel heard. They're right. at the breaking point or post the breaking point. What does a guy do to get back into the good graces? Yeah. So my experience that, especially in today's day and age, where men are not as showing a lot of effort or they're giving up a lot. We can go over that in a bit. But the thing you can do to truly turn on your woman or excite your woman is say, I don't know how to do this yet. I'm willing to put my time and attention on improving this. I know this is important to you, and I'm willing to take time from my Netflix, porn, sports, buddy time, two hours a week to read books or listen to podcasts. I was being kind of facetious there, but not. I'm willing to put time and energy in because this relationship is important to me. If the woman says at this point, it's too late, then it's probably too late. (laughs) If she says, okay, then you can say, great, can we work on this together? That's a man's willingness to say, I understand 
that I'm not optimizing, I'm not living at your bottom lines of what you need to be in relationship, I'm willing to do the work and the effort and the energy to get there. That is a huge step for most women. Yeah, it's so true. And it's also so true that when we're done, we're done. Right. Like there's, I don't know what it is psychologically, but when that switch goes off, like we are physically, psychologically incapable of turning it back on. And there have been times in relationships in my past where I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could. Mm. I wish I could. You know, right. it's like, I can't, it's done. Well, women tend to have a very long period of holding faith and space. So if a woman's hit a point of done, the doors are closed, the gates are up, you know, the place is bankrupt. You've missed, as a guy, you've missed a long time of science. You've lost months. You might have missed years, years. of science. And years. so if she says she's done, you know, there's a high fidelity, I don't know if the John Cusack movie, yeah. when he's talking to his girlfriend and he's like, what chance do I have of being, of getting back together? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, come on, give me a percentage. And she goes, you have a 9% chance of getting back in with me. And he's like, yes, I can work on 9%. It just takes a little crack of the door and then put the energy and effort to get back in there. You yeah. know, but listen, that's really the most important. Yes. And okay, so let's talk about this missing the signs period, the yeah. years of missing the signs. And I think that there's something in this about what you said earlier, we a little while ago about men sort of not putting an effort. There's sort of, here's the thing. I want to be careful in these conversations when I have them mm. because I love men. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a, there are a lot of conversations in this day and age that when we talk about toxic masculinity or we talk mm. about men, that it starts to sound or feel to some men mm -hmm. like we're bashing men, like we hate men. Mm -hmm. I had a talk with my son the other day. He's 13. And I said something about toxic masculinity and he went and slammed his bedroom door. And I was like, honey, I am not saying that men are toxic. You have to understand. And of course he's 13. We have to be careful about our language. Mm -hmm. I know I'm speaking to the choir with you on this, but I'm to my broader audience. I just want to say that this is my biggest goal in these conversations is to invite men into them because mm -hmm. we do no good by ostracizing men from the conversation about masculinity. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's a, literally a zero sum game. So with that said, how and why are men missing the signs? The main thing, this is a big thesis of my book and we can go in as deep as you want around this, but the main the highlights to the story is the patriarchy has been around since around 4,000 BCE. So the patriarchy has been around for 6,000 plus years. We've seen epic changes in the last 50. So <laughs> women's suffrage, 1848, 150 years ago. Women's right to vote, 1920, 19th Amendment, 100 years ago. But then in the 1960s and 70s, society and educators started to put significant tension on girls, women under 18, young women and women, giving them more opportunity to get to the egalitarian society. In doing so, they created programs a lot of programs, and a lot of space for women to empower. They did not do this complimentary for men. Now, mm -hmm. I am 100% supporter of every single program for girls. And the detriment is that what's happened, there's significant shifts in society mm. in terms of economic power structures. What, 100 women got elected to the Congress? You know, woo -woo. Woo! You know LGBT, gay men, like we're seeing an epic change in terms of what masculinity is and was. Yeah. There's some amazing books out there. 
Angry White Men, Michael Kimmel, End of Men, Hannah Rosen, Man Interrupted, Philip Zimbardo. I have plenty of them. <laughs> the Chris, point is, yep. there's really incredible books out there that do much better than I do in terms of the facts and the motivations. But the bottom line is, is that the world has changed. What happened is men have what's called aggravated entitlement. That's a Michael Kimmel term. Aggravated entitlement. White man syndrome. <laughs> White man syndrome. Yeah, White man syndrome. <laughs> These are my jobs they're taking. This is my spot. I'm supposed to wear the pants in the family, et cetera, et cetera. So 6,000 years of habits, 50 years of epic change, me too, a year old. And what's happened is men are scared, nervous, don't know who to be. The scripts handed to them by their fathers and grandfathers and all the generations aren't working anymore. And what they're doing instead of stepping up, saying, oh, there's a new mountain to climb, there's a new fastball to hit, there's a new piano to learn, there's a new golf swing to learn, like the same energy we put into that, we're saying we're just getting mad, complaining and whining and giving up. Yep. Are they giving up though? They're getting mad, they're complaining, but I don't know if they're giving up. I think they're digging in. Okay. I think we're saying the same thing in different language, <laughs> yeah. but they're not stepping up to the plate. Right. There's they're whole, not doing the work. They're not doing the work. There's whole demographics in Japan of men under 30 who are virgins, they're called herbivores, whatever the Japanese word for that is, who are just giving up and not having sex, going with porn and sex dolls and not any interest. Guess what that does to the whole ecosystem of Japan when young men are not having sex and producing children? There's groups called incels in America. I was going to say, interestingly, they're not turning into incels. Right, right. <laughs> So the point is like... Let's define incels for those who somehow haven't heard of it yet. Yeah. Incels, people who are not having sex, not by choice. It literally stands for involuntary celibacy. Celibacy, yes. yes. They consider themselves involuntary because the women that they believe that they are entitled to right. are rejecting them. How dare they? Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's been men's activist movements since the 70s and 80s. There's so much, like you said, digging in and not stepping up the plate and not doing the work. That to me is what I call giving up and I sitting guess. and getting angry. So yeah. my point is that it's time for men to go back to basics, to say, I don't know yet, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to put energy into this. I'm willing to, to relate. And doing so, that's going to attract women. That's going to give you the adventure of a lifetime. My life is one big epic learning curve as I never rest on my laurels, as I engage with a powerful woman, as we tell each other the truth. It's like every day is an adventure, but you have to be a yes in terms of Joseph Campbell's, like you have to say yes to the call for adventure. And that's what most men are not doing in this generation. Yeah, so true. Yeah. And it's, you know, in my work, I honestly think that it is, uh, we've got generations of women who are waking up to their own power and their own empowerment, especially after Me Too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I work with women all over the country. I work with women in the Bible Belt. I work with people in places that they are most unlikely to start mm -hmm. waking up and, you know, kind of radicalizing. And they're doing it. And the men in their lives are not happy with it. And mm -hmm. I think that I would be surprised if the divorce rate wasn't rising as a result mm -hmm. of this. I haven't checked the stats recently, but. Well, what's interesting, more interesting than divorce is women now have choice in terms of getting married. Yeah. 
And so what's happening is the marriage rates are decreasing slightly, mm -hmm. and, but the age of marriage is increasing significantly. 21 and 22 from the 1980s to I think it's 28 and 29 now in current yeah. times. Wow. Even that feels so early to me. I mean, you know, I got married. I met my husband, my ex-husband when we were 28. Mm -hmm. We got married when we were 32. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, and again, like I had not developed enough to a point where I think the, where I made a very wise and informed choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, even 21, forget it. I can't even imagine. Mm. Although my in-laws met Oh God, I think she had her second kid by the time she was 21 and they're still together. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, well, I was married at 26. So, and that yeah. was in the 90s. So yeah, I do see people are getting married later or not yeah. at all. Or not at all. Millennials are like, marriage, why? Right. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you have to remember in the 70s and 80s, women were getting married for economic reasons. Mm -hmm. They were earning 60 cents to a man's dollar up till 1980. Yeah. They could not get car loans. They could not yeah. get house loans there was economic reasons that women were getting married. These no longer exist in the 21st century. So now when we're like, I don't know if I want to take that on. I don't know if I want a man-child. I don't know the economic responsibility. I mean, it really, and I'm kind of just want to say I'm painting kind of a negative picture, but to me, this is the middle. I know there are exceptional men at the top of the bell curve that are doing the work and I'm engaged and I, but the majority of men are not, and that's the point. And it's time for men really to step up and say, I want to be more. Mm. Is there anything that women can say to their men to move that needle? Mm -hmm. Like, right, because it's time for men to say, to step up, but like, how do we invite them? How do their wives say to them? How do you have that conversation? Men are external validation junkies. We all are, <sighs> but men really are. And so men thrive on what's called approval. So yeah. when you approve of your partner, when a woman approves of her man, she's approving of him as his human being, as a whole human being. He may have habits that she does not like. He may have behaviors. But on the whole, she approves of him as a human being in totality. It's akin to like a computer with a virus. You don't throw away the computer. You try to eradicate the virus. Mm -hmm. That's what approval is to me. So a woman says to the man, I believe in you. I think we can do this together. I want to be your partner. You know, I see things about how to have an exceptional relationship. I want to work on our sex life. I want to be exciting. I want to feel young again. I want to do this with you. That's approval. That's a call for adventure for a man. Now, imbue that with any like, yeah, and you kind of stink and I'm mad at you or angry, like your withholds will go through the communication because he can feel that. So, the optimal thing a woman can do is to, one, deal with their own internal world, clean up their own anger, frustrations, find yes. their responsibility in it, mm -hmm. and forgive. And I know this sounds simple and it might be really challenging. I understand that. But say, you know, do your own internal work, approve of your man, and say, let's go on this adventure together. Men like team sports. And if you <laughs> say, let's do this together rather than you should, you know, face up, then that's a call adventure. Now he might say yes, no, or maybe that's on him, but at least you've made the offer. So, I mean, I love this, right? It's exciting to me. That's like the ideal relationship in my world. I'm mm -hmm. like, fuck yeah, like sign me up for that right. relationship, right? 
I also feel like we have our own work to do, right? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the fact that women need to do their own work and get out of their toxic blame and, you know, it's your fault or whatever, like take responsibility for what's ours and then invite them onto the journey. I know so many women who have been trying for so many years to get their husbands to go to therapy with them. Mm -hmm. And they say they don't want to go. And then, you know, the women finally like end the marriage and they're like, no, 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 I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Good, dude. Right. Is there a way to have those conversations better? Because there's my work, there's your work, and then there's Mm -hmm. our work, right? And I think it's all in the same sandbox, Mm -hmm. right? But there's definitely places where I need to go and do my own work. There's my own little cutout of the sandbox and your own little cutout of the sandbox and the rest of it we can play in together. I don't know if I have a question there. I heard your question. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) What was Um, your question? What do women do if the man won't go to therapy? How do we get him to go to therapy? Okay. So you can't get him to go to therapy. No. Period. Period. What women don't do is that they are not aware of or, and, or usually they don't, not aware of them, but they don't communicate what their bottom lines are. Mm -hmm. And they withhold that because it's not worth it to them to really speak the truth about what they need in relationship. So they withhold, they withhold, they withhold, and then they blow their top and then it's over. The doors are closed. The gates are up and the end rather than in the moment when the sensation rises, saying the first time they asked for therapy, saying, listen, this isn't working for me. I see potential in our relationship. And, and if we don't have forward motion together, I want you to know that this is the downward spiral towards the end of our relationship. For a woman to feel that secure and powerful in that truth and communicate that, not with anger, not even with a threat, from a collaborative, listen, friend, listen, yeah. husband, this is what I see. But what women do is they know that and they withhold it. They don't say it. What? Or they, they hide it from themselves, it. right? Or, and they get together with their girlfriends and right. they bitch, you know, they bitch over, you know, texting or over wine and they never say it to their husbands. Right. And then they're mad that their husband doesn't know. Like they think it really loud. They scream, I am so sick of this. The guy can hear it. The guy can't read your mind. He also doesn't know what that means. Right. So, (laughs) yes. So what happens for people, mostly women, is they have a feeling or thought, a pain, a boundary crossing, a bottom line crossed, and then at time zero and don't say anything. And then they add time, one second, one minute, one hour, one week, two months, and then something happens. And what they do is they vomit that boundary crossing two months later onto a guy who's just like, what are you talking about? And the masterful, the optimized relationship is when in the moment or, you know, after some internal processing, but when it's very clear when this happened, this was the impact on me. Yep. What your unwillingness to work on this relationship has this impact on me. And these are possible ramifications. What do you want to do? That is what women need to do. They have the power. They have the space. And again, some demographics, that might be a dangerous thing to do. I'm not saying, you know, be wise about it, but really it's time for women to speak the truth and for men to listen. And without that, we're going to go downward trend in terms of relationship. Amen. Yeah. I want everyone to rewind that and like, (laughs) listen to the last 20, 30 seconds over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. again, (laughs) because right, this is the impact of, as you talk about withholding, the impact of withholding that truth when you know it. The thing is, we know it. Yep. We know it for a long ass time. Right. 
And the impact of withholding that is probably a quicker downslide into divorce. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we just actually say it, there's a chance of healing, mm-hmm. right? And if the answer is, no, I'm still not going to do it, well, you're much more quickly arriving at your destination mm-hmm. at that point. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share, get out and looking at and... So many places to go. <laughs> I want to like kind of fill up some hope. <laughs> We've had kind yeah, of a downward do negative. Yeah. yeah. So my belief system is that any two persons, regardless of gender or in sexual orientation, race, religion, economic status, any two persons in this world has the possibility of being in solid, intimate relationship. I've seen so many people from different strata get together spend time, build the communication pathways to have a healthy relationship. So any person who says it's not possible that my husband and I can talk this straight is a self-limiting belief. And in my belief system, not true and lazy. If you're willing to put the time and energy into it, any relationship can improve. So if you're not willing to do the work, just admit that to yourself and say it's not worth it. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Or that you're scared, whatever it is, but that's a self-limiting belief. Right. It's possible. It may not be easy. It probably won't be easy, but it's possible. Live from the place that it's possible and you can create a whole world from possibility. If you don't think it's possible, then your ego is going to create circumstances to ensure that it doesn't happen. So just start from the spot that it's possible that you can have your life way beyond that you have it now and you can have your dreams or some version of your dreams. My point is, we often have the foot on our own brakes. We often have the key to our own self-created prisons in the palm of our hands. We're just not willing to look. And so my call to you is just to know that anything is possible if you're willing to tell the truth, to do the internal work, to take the risk, to be intimate, to live unhidden. And from that, you can have the exact life you want. Amen. Mm-hmm. Rob, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.